How are you doing today? I'm not spent, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> Different guy. Um, my name is Alan Warohio. I'm the student director here at Mercy, and I'm so overjoyed uh, because of this privilege to bring the word of the Lord to us this morning. Uh, parents, by the way, if you haven't signed up for summer camp, please do that. Okay, that's it. I'm not, I'm not going to do any of that anymore. That's it. I'm done. So um, I didn't grow up watching professional basketball. I grew up watching football. And that's uh, soccer for y'all. But that does not stop me from thinking, concluding, or even trying to convince you that um, LeBron is the GOAT. <laughs> now, I know some of you are about to get at me with all kinds of statistics, numbers, argumentations. And we could spend probably the next few hours arguing about that very fact. In fact, there are sports journalists who've made a career out of this thing. Like, who is the greatest? Men and women have argued throughout history. They have even gone to war to discover who amongst them is the greatest. This morning, you are probably working towards some kind of greatness. You want to be the greatest worker. Get a mug, best boss ever. Or maybe you want to be the best mom, best dad, get a t-shirt, Father's Day. By the way, why is it that we only get t-shirts for Father's Day? But I move on. <laughs> you want to be the best doctor or teacher. Or maybe you have an ability, an achievement, something in you that makes you conclude you are great. And even if we do not want to rule the universe, we have this craving in us of greatness. We want to be great. And even those people who would argue that I don't want to be great, they do have a way of measuring greatness. The only thing is they just don't think they measure up. But soon enough, this not measuring up becomes their greatness. And so here we are again. All of us crave to be great. This desire for greatness is part of our human composition. Like you go back to Genesis 1 and you discover that this desire is godly. Because God, when he created Adam and Eve, he gave them the privilege and the responsibility to rule and take dominion over everything in creation. So it is a godly ambition. But because of sin and rebellion, they became corrupted. And this is what we inherited from them. And so instead of us being humble and gentle, we have become self-centered, prideful people who seek power and recognition at the expense of others. The thing is, if not aligned to the will of God, this desire for greatness that on one hand produces remarkable innovation, can produce and will produce selfish desires and actions. And the problem is, the problem is not greatness. The problem is the pride. It's the pride that leads us to seek greatness in a way that is selfish, driven by our own desires at the detriment of everyone around us. So this morning, I don't want you to pretend like you don't seek greatness. I don't want me to pretend that I don't seek greatness. 
What I want us to do is to come into Scripture and try and discover and search the Word of God and see how can we be great in a way that honors God and serves His people. How can we do that? We are in week three of our series, our Easter series. I love Easter. Death and resurrection, why Jesus had to die. Our text will show us that true greatness looks like the way of Jesus. And it will also show us that there is an eternal reward that is waiting for people who will seek Jesus' kind of greatness. To you who wants to be great this morning, I invite you to taste and see the difference between the world's definition of greatness and Jesus' definition of greatness. I want you to know that you do not have to settle for less than greatness. But you and I, we have to come to terms and embrace the right kind of greatness. Our text today is Luke 22, 24 to 30. This morning, one of our students will lead uh, the reading scripture over us segment. Here at Mercy, we partner with parents to raise up the next generation of disciples of Jesus. And one of the ways we do that is by affirming that middle school and high school students are part of the church and they can play a part in the body of Christ even in participating in the leading of our church services. So, brothers and sisters, this is Camden Foster. He is in seventh grade. Would you please rise as he reads scripture over us? Luke 22, verses 24 through 30. Then a dispute also arose among them about who should be considered the greatest. But he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who have authority over them have themselves called benefactors. It is not to be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever is greatest among you should become like the youngest, and whoever leads like the one serving. For who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? Isn't it the one at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who stood by me in my trials. I bestow on you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. And before we can consider it, let us pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word. Thank you so much that you spoke to us and you have preserved this word for thousands of years for us to feed from it. Thank you for the spirit that illuminates the word so that we can understand it. We are your people. Open up our minds and our hearts to hear the truth you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can sit down now. So last week we began going through Luke 22, and we saw Jesus having the Passover meal with his disciples. And during this meal, he instituted the Lord's Supper. And he asked his disciples to make sure that, that they have this meal to remember his sacrifice. This week, we will continue listening in on this dinner conversation. As Camden just read, we are in Luke 22, verse 24. Just put a finger on that. Luke 20, 22, 24. If you're there, say, I'm there. If you're not there, say, hold on. Oh, okay. 
And then in the nine service, there was that guy who's always like, you know, wait for me. But y'all, y'all are so good, y'all. <laughs> so good. All right, verse 24. Then a dispute rose, a dispute also arose among them about who should be considered the greatest. From verse 23, we learned that the disciples had just argued about who it would be who would betray Jesus. And now they have turned, and they're not talking about the bad dude. They're talking about who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And this is so insensitive. Why is it so insensitive? Because Jesus, their leader, who has been with them, who has been their friend for three years, just told them he was going to die. Jesus, their teacher who has taught them about love and servanthood, just told them, my body is going to die. But they forgot all that. And now they were thinking about who is greatest among them. This is so out of order. If it wasn't in the text, I wouldn't believe it. I'd be like, there's no way. There's no way they could have been arguing about that. It's Jesus. They had been with him for three years. I love how Jesus steps into this mess. Jesus is so gracious. If it were me, I could hear myself saying like, hey, I thought you guys were my boys. Why are you trying to replace me? Remember when I called you? Like you, Andrew, you didn't even know how to fish. And now you're thinking about who's going to be the greatest? And on and on and on I would go. But that's not the way of Jesus. Instead of a scolding, Jesus offers his self-centered disciples a precious, compassionate lesson. Please listen to me, child of God. You've been adopted by the King of Kings. So if you haven't read your Bible in a while, if you haven't gone to community group in a while, if you feel like you keep on messing over and over again, Jesus is not mad at you. He's not pointing a finger at you. He has his arms wide open because he is gracious and he is compassionate. The same way he was patient with his disciples is the same way he is patient with you here and now. You see... This wasn't the first time the disciples had argued about who was great among them. In fact, John and James, they involved their mother in their outrageous, outrageous seeking of prominence in the kingdom of God. You know it's bad when you involve your mom, right? Like, mom, could you come talk to Jesus? Because I think, like, I would, I would look pretty cool if I sat on the left and my brother on the right. I don't care where we sit, but you just talk to Jesus. It's really bad. Like these disciples, how often we might be tempted to forget the price Jesus paid for us on the cross. And we might start arguing about who's the greatest among us. We would find ourselves arguing about who should get the prominent position. Haven't you heard of brothers and sisters who got into it, like really got into it because of the color of the carpet? Like they really got into it because of the color of the wall or the t-shirt size. This kind of preoccupation with self has a way of creeping in in a very stealth way. 
It is the husband or wife who's fighting just for themselves and not for each other. Forgetting the precious gift they have in a spouse from the Lord Jesus. It is the worker who cannot celebrate another worker's promotion because they think and they feel and they are convinced it should have been them. We are prone to dispute about who is the greatest, especially in a culture that says pride is a virtue. But it's not. Jesus, however, wants us to think differently and rightly about greatness. Look with me at verse 25. What Jesus is about to do now, he's about to unpack this upside-down nature of his kingdom. He's about to contrast greatness according to the world and greatness according to God. Verse 25. But he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who have authority over them have themselves called benefactors. According to Jesus, the kings of the Gentiles, those who rule the earthly kingdoms, they exercise dominion over the people they lead. Not only do they rule out of a selfish hunger for power, they have themselves called benefactors. This word, benefactor, means do-gooders, ones who do good. But these kings of the Gentiles, they did not do good for goodness sake. They wanted praise and accolade for it. This leads us to our first observation, that greatness, according to the world, is based on the chase of power and the pursuit of prominence. Growing up in Kenya, I saw this kind of world power firsthand. Our second president ruled for 24 years. 24! That's older than some of you here. And during those 24 years, he demanded to be praised. So they all like special choirs, special poems. Every news bulletin had to start with praises of him. And now maybe you're thinking to yourself, Alan, I'm not seeking that kind of greatness. I don't want to rule. If you don't think you struggle with that kind of greatness, ask yourself this week as you're about to post yet another Instagram or TikTok challenge, what am I doing this for? What do I want to get from this? Am I in this moment in pursuit of prominence? Am I wanting recognition for this? And by the way, this is true the other way around. There are those of us who not posting is our measure of greatness. And so we've watched that Netflix documentary, and now we've told everyone, you shall not post. (laughs) Thou shall fail if you post. (laughs) Jesus is against all kinds of self-glory. You can see it clearly in Matthew 23 where he advises a crowd listening to him not to be like the Pharisees who do everything to be seen by others. He says that these Pharisees, they love the place of honor at banquets, the front seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplace, and to be called rabbi by people. There are no amounts of likes 
that will satisfy you. There are no amounts of accolades that will satisfy you. If you chase it, you will end up lording over people because you will be intoxicated with a need for credit. But notice something here. Jesus doesn't say being a Pharisee is bad. He doesn't say it's wrong. It's the attitude and the inclination of these Pharisees, the inclination of their hearts. That's what Jesus has a problem with. He doesn't tell his disciples, don't be great. He says, don't be great in this way. That's what he has a problem with. We need to make a distinction here because humility is not a defense for passivity. What do I mean by this? If God has given you, has called you into a position to lead people, you cannot say, oh, I'm humble, so I'm not going to give instructions. That doesn't glorify God. If God has given you a spiritual gift or a, or a service gift, you cannot say, oh, I'm not going to use this because I don't want people to think I'm proud. No. If God has given it to you and you're using it to honor him, it is not pride. Listen to what Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. Knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord, you serve the Lord Jesus. This has implications for our Monday to Friday. It means that we will do our jobs well for the glory of God, but not for human recognition. It means we will have to set a better example at the office. And I'm not talking about just simply being nice. Everybody does that. If you're the boss, it's your job, or you have some people working under you, the Lord wants you to treat them well. Don't lord over them. Students, this means you will not compromise your faith so you can be popular at school or get a few more likes on social media because that fame is so short-lived and it's empty. Now, if the chase of power and the pursuit of prominence is not how we should seek greatness in the kingdom of God, how then are we going to be great? I'm glad you asked. So Jesus is about to tell us. Look with me at verses 26 to 27. On the contrary, whoever is greatest among you should become like the youngest, and whoever leads like the one serving. For who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? Isn't it the one at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. In the ancient world, the youngest took the lowliest place. Jesus says that those who desire greatness in his kingdom, those who desire to be great according to Jesus, they should not expect honor, respect, and status that is given to to older people. Rather, they should embrace dishonor and accept the lowliest place. And to make this clearer, he says to his disciples, he asks them a question, for who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? To sit at the table in those days was to sit at a place of honor, even today. To sit at the table is to sit at the place of honor. When you go to like a proper restaurant, not one of those places where they throw food at you. We call those drive throughs 
a proper restaurant where you sit down, the waiter comes to you, they tell you the day's special, they ask you what you want to drink. There's honor in that, right? And by the way, this is the verse you quote to people when they come and say, hey, we're going to go to this cookie-chew self-restaurant experience thing. I'm like, uh, I want to sit in the place of honor. Why do I want to do all that work and then pay for it? As in, <laughs> Jesus answers this question by stating, isn't it the one at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus now turns from using examples and illustrations and uses his own life as the example for this kind of greatness. See, Jesus was the leader of this group. He was the one who had the power to walk on water. He was the one who had the power to heal the sick. He was the one who would make things happen. If anyone had the right to lord over people and demand to be called a benefactor, it can only be Jesus. But listen to what Peter says. Peter says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. Indeed, Jesus deserves to be called a benefactor. But he did not demand to be given titles. Paul in 2 Corinthians 8, 9 tells us, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. This is how we become great. If we seek greatness according to Jesus, we will serve. Because he says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Even as we saw last week in the Lord's Supper, he's the one who broke the bread and served his disciples. And listen to these words in John 13, 4-5. We read this about Jesus. So he got up from supper laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with a towel tied around him. This kind of service is so outrageous. Even Peter, he was like, no, mm -mm, you ain't touching my feet. Because he couldn't fathom Jesus washing his feet. There is no other God who does this kind of thing. There are over 3,000 tribes in Africa. Each and every tribe has its own belief system, its own God. And there is no single story of any of those gods leaving their throne to serve people like Jesus serves people. If you're new to Christianity or you're considering it, listen to me. You do not have to work your way. You do not have to work yourself to God. God has come down and he has served us. All you need to do is lay your burden at his feet. Now, for us Christians, we've heard this story so many times. So it's easy for us to not 
seriously consider what is going on. Like you've heard it, Jesus washed feet, so yay, let's wash feet. Maybe you grew up in a church where you had a feet washing Sunday, and that's the thing, right? No, not where you're from? Okay. Please take a moment and consider that the king of kings, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the one who created all things in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, thrones and dominions, rulers and authorities, the one who is before all things and by whom all things hold together, the Alpha and the Omega took a towel. He tied it around his waist. He poured water into a basin. He washed his disciples' feet. And he didn't stop there. He didn't even ask them to wipe their own feet. He went ahead and wiped their feet. Like Jesus could have called angels to come and wash his disciples' feet. Jesus could have done another feet-washing miracle. But he did not do that. He served them. And these were not nice, shallow kind of feet that are cushioned with shoes. They were feet that were walking on dirt roads, stepping on donkey poop in all kinds of fields. But our Jesus washed those feet. So you see, if greatness, according to the world, is based on the chase of prominence, chase of power, we see that greatness, according to Jesus, is found in humility, self-sacrifice, and service. The disciples were arguing about who among them was the greatest, while the greatest was right there with them. They were so preoccupied with their material understanding of the kingdom of God that they did not comprehend that the one who had all the power and all the authority was right there with them. Brothers and sisters, let us not be preoccupied with anything else other than looking at Jesus and realizing he is the greatest. He is the greatest. Like there is nothing else greater than our God. And so, let us not be so proud to think that we are great on account of achievement or status or possession. Jesus is the greatest. James 4, 6 tells us that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And we see clearly from our text, Jesus set an example of humility for his disciples, and he sets, his, he sets that same example for us today. You know, in recent days, we have seen or witnessed or heard of Christians who have misused their authority or have embraced prideful ways or they have chased power and prestige, but that's not the way of Jesus. 
Listen to Philippians 2, 6-8. Jesus tells us to adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. But however, we need to come to terms with the fact that Jesus is not just an example for us to emulate. There are people who will accept Jesus as a good teacher, a good moral example, a good dude you can walk with. He's my, he's my OG, he's my friend. But as one preacher puts it, imitation is not salvation. But salvation brings imitation. Christ is not given to us first as model, but as savior. In the experience of a believer, first comes the pardon of Christ, then the pardon of Christ. Jesus did more than give us an example of greatness. By his washing of feet and his breaking of bread and waiting, he did more than set an example. These actions were but foreshadows of the greatest sacrifice of them all. Our Lord Jesus offered himself on the cross. He let people spit on him. He let people put a crown of thorns on his head and nail him on the cross so he could serve us. So we could be reconciled to God. We could move from being enemies of God to friends of God. That's why he was washing feet. To show us there was something greater coming. And in his death and resurrection, he, de he defeated sin. And by that, eradicated pride. And now whosoever believes in him is saved and given a new heart of flesh that is not focused on self, but focused on Christ. And yes, I'm going to admit, sometimes we fail, and we fail so bad. But listen to me. The same grace that saved you, the same grace that saved me, is the same grace that keeps us. And so when you fail, and you get tempted, and you fall into that trap to seek your own greatness, as the world defines it, respond in repentance. If the Holy Spirit of God is convicting you, respond in repentance. And I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you, he will see it to completion until the day of Christ. So if you are not a Christian, and I mean you haven't accepted the gift of reconciliation that God offers us, the first step into this kind of greatness Jesus is calling us to is to recognize that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. And like, a, like Pastor Spence so eloquently said last week, you and I are terrible gods. We are demanding and yet not satisfied. We can never be satisfied. So Jesus comes to see that we are set free. He comes to set you free from you. 
And he does so by being a king who serves and says, follow me. Don't live for yourself. Deny yourself. Die to yourself and follow me. And then you will truly live. I plead with you for your own sake that you would accept salvation that is given to you freely by Jesus. The one who is the Prince of Peace who came to set the captives free. He can free you from your pride. He can free you from the constant pressure to attain greatness by your own strength. He wants to give you a new heart. By the way, if the Spirit is working in you right now, you can just stand up and we'll pray for you. Amen? Listen to what Jesus says, verse 28 to 30, as we close. You are those who stood by me in my trials. I bestow on you a kingdom just as the Father bestowed one on me, so that you may eat and drink at the table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. This leads us to our third and final observation. True greatness is only found in Christ. True greatness is only found in Jesus This means we do not have to compete for fading glory. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, I bestow on you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one on me. Notice, it is Jesus who's giving his disciples this great inheritance. Jesus has promised us. That he will give us a lasting inheritance. He has promised us that there is a place for us at the table. There's a church in New Mexico. It's called St. Beads. And they had a sign over the church's door. The sign simply read, Servants Entrance. And so every person who went into the church to worship, if you wanted to go in... You had to go through the door that said, Servant's entrance. That's the way of Jesus. He is inviting us to come as we truly are servants of the great King. And so, I invite you to be great. Let's be great. Let's be great in loving each other. Let's be great in serving our church. Let's be great in serving our city. Let's be great in serving our neighbors. Let's be great in saying, after you, instead of move over. Let's be great in saying, I'm listening, instead of hold up, let me tell you. Let's be great. Jesus is calling us to be great. Not for our good. Not for our glory, not for our name, but for his glory and his name. He is the one who has the name above all other names. And he is saying, if you've accepted salvation, you're my child. That's your identity. Don't worry about what other people will call you. I call you mine. That's what God is saying. So let's be great. I feel like we need a Pastor Spence chant. One, two, three. Let's be great. <laughs> Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the greatness that you have shown us in your word. As we approach Easter season, would you help our hearts to be great in a way that is so humble, humble as you are, to die on the cross for sinners who are your enemies. Would you lead us into our city, to our jobs? Would you lead us to our homes, to our schools, to lead out of this greatness, a greatness that loves people, knowing that we have a place at the table where we will reign with you forever and ever. Jesus, thank you. You are the greatest. We confess that this morning. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. We now have the privilege and the honor of um, stepping into what I feel like is a perfect ending to Alan's sermon. Um, when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, Peter refused him and said, Lord, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus said, no, this is, this is right. It is good for you, for me to wash your feet. And he had to receive from Jesus. It was hard to do, but he had to receive from Jesus and so as we close our, our time together, the way, one of the ways we're going to close this sermon is by taking of the Lord's Supper. It's a way of humbling ourselves and receiving what Jesus has done for us afresh, saying we need Jesus. We're not sufficient apart from him. And we're humbling ourselves and receiving his nourishment, the nourishment of his salvation. So the Lord's Supper is a way of those who believe in Jesus, of professing his death, of remembering his death, and saying that we believe in him, we believe that through his broken body, through his poured out blood, we are saved. So if you're a follower of Jesus, I call you to take this with thanks. Now, if you are not a believer in Jesus, if you have not professed faith in him, been saved by Jesus, we ask you to not take these elements, but instead to believe in the one to whom these elements are pointing now, I'm going to come up in just a, a few minutes to take us through the taking of the bread and the cup. But for those who belong to Jesus, what I want you to do is just sit in this for a moment to, to think of Jesus, the greatest one, the highest one, humbling himself for our salvation. And would you humble yourself from the things that might have been keeping you from the Lord throughout this week, the ways you've been pushing him aside, humble yourself Come back to the table of grace and prepare your heart to receive him again. And Charlie talked about in the beginning of the service, Isaiah 6, this picture of the holy, holy, holy one. Isaiah said, woe is me. And an angel came and took a, a burning coal and touched his lips. 
And the man who said, I'm a man of unclean lips, the angel sent a message through this coal and said, your sin has been atoned for. I don't know where you are coming this morning, but if you belong to Jesus, as we take this bread and this cup, we remember that through the body and blood of Christ, this perfect Savior, your sin has been atoned for. You have been cleansed. You have been justified. You will be glorified through Jesus Christ. On the night when he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us eat. In the same way, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant that Jeremiah and Jeremiah 31 through 33 and Ezekiel and Ezekiel 36 promised that through the new covenant, God would give us a new heart. He'd put a new spirit within us. He'd take out of our heart a heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. And Jesus said, my blood... My blood, this is the new covenant in my blood. By my blood, I'm gonna wash you. By my blood, I'm gonna cleanse you. I'm gonna give you a new heart, a new spirit. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Let us take the cup. Jesus, you were the highest one and you descended to the lowest place to take proud sinners who thought we didn't need you and to take us up to you, to raise us up into the heavenly places with you. What a savior, what a savior we have. And so Jesus, this morning as we're fueled to humble ourselves, to serve others, to not consider our interests, but the others' interests, not to do anything out of selfish ambition, but to consider others more significant than ourselves. God, I pray that we would remember that you did that first, that you took on the form of a servant. You were obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Oh, Jesus, we receive your humbling service, and it's only through your spirit in us that we can serve others. But with your spirit now, we rise, sing, to celebrate that it's not by our works, but by grace, by grace, by your humbling work that we have been saved. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and sing?